My second reading today is uh, Psalm 20, but before we come to that, let's pray. Our Lord, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, Your word is precious to us, Lord. It is uh, truth. Uh, It is revealing who you are and what you have done. It reveals your son, Jesus, and all that he is. Uh, We pray, Lord, as we come to your word today, that you would speak to us, uh, open our hearts and our minds uh, to understand it and to receive it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 20. For the director of music, a psalm of David. May the Lord answer you when you are in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. May he remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. May he give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. We will shout for joy when you are victorious and will lift up our banners in the name of our God. May the Lord grant all your requests. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He answers him from his holy heaven with the saving power of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up and stand firm. O Lord, save the king. Answer us when we call. Amen. Sometimes uh, we can end up with a one-dimensional view of Jesus. Uh, We focus, rightly, on his grace and love that he has shown to us. We see gentleness, grace and kindness in Jesus. We see love. But that is not all that Jesus is. Uh, Psalm 20 is a reminder that there is more to the king of God's people. Uh, He is a, a warrior king, a one who fights our battles for us. One of the main things that the Israelites desired when they first asked for a king was a king that would fight their battles for them. Uh, They didn't imagine that such a king uh, would not require them to fight alongside them, uh, but that he would lead them into battle, uh, be their strength and be their might. Uh, And in Saul, they found such a king for a time. And in David, they found such a king too. Uh, David, in the early stages of his reign, led the people in those victories in person. He was on the battlefield, uh, leading the charge. And in this way, the well-being of the nation heavily depended upon him. It depended upon his survival. It depended upon his leadership. The nation was relying on his strength in battle. And Psalm 20 shows that the relationship between the king who fights for them and the people who seek salvation through their king. Uh, The psalm can be broken into three parts. It begins with the first five verses coming from the lips of the people of God speaking for their king. Uh, We can see that in verse 5 when they say, we will shout for joy when you are victorious and we will lift up our banners in the name of our God. Uh, Verse 6 to 8 then seems to be on the lips of the king as he says, I know the Lord saves his anointed. And then it closes again with the people saying, O Lord, save the king, answer us when we call. 
Uh, the scene for the psalm is really uh, before battle or, or during a great trial, before the outcome is known. Uh, the people are asking for the Lord's help for their king. It begins, may the Lord answer you when you are in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. Now this is a prayer desiring that the Lord be the king's guide and protector. They're asking the Lord to send help from the sanctuary and from Zion. Now the sanctuary uh, would be a reference to the temple or in David's day, the tabernacle. Now that was the same tent in which the Lord had made his appearance known uh, when Israel first came out of Egypt. And they asked uh, for help from Zion. Zion is Jerusalem and, and refers uh, at this time to the location of the Ark of the Covenant. Now the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant were the chief symbols of God's presence with his people. They are symbols which the Lord has used to make his presence felt. If you wanted to, to be nearer the Lord, those were the places that you would go to. And so as the people call for help for their king from the Lord, they see that help coming from the Lord's presence. And whether that be God's assurance or his strength or even the armies of the heavenly host, they saw these things coming from the Lord's presence. May he send you help. The king's role was to fight their battles for them, to lead them into battle, but they knew it all would come to nothing if the Lord was not with the king. Therefore, there was a need for the king to be righteous before the Lord. If the relationship between the king and the Lord was broken, could the people really expect that help would come? Could the people even expect that the king would follow the Lord's instructions? Uh, you would remember at the end of 1 Samuel, we saw Saul, king of Israel, died in battle. Uh, he was not right with the Lord in respect to his kingship. He, his role as king was already over in God's eyes. God looked upon him as his enemy. And the result was that Saul and his sons died in battle and the whole of Israel, as a result, suffered a massive loss. So much so that many of them fled back across the Jordan and right out of the Promised Land. It is important that the king be right with the Lord. Now, verse 3 says, May he remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. That is what is needed for the king to be right with the Lord. Even David still had to make sacrifices in order for him to be in good standing with the Lord. He was not without sin. At this point in his life, he had not yet committed the great sin of adultery with Bathsheba, but there is no one without sin. And so David too would offer sacrifices and seek to be in favour with the Lord. Sacrifices were the way in which God had laid out for his people to find their way back into his favour. And if they offered sincere sacrifices, the Lord would forgive and they would be declared once more in his favour. But if the Lord did not accept those sacrifices, they would remain in poor standing with the Lord. They would remain his enemies. And so the people pray that the sacrifices and offerings of the king would be accepted by the Lord and remembered by him. It was important that the king as the head of the people would be right before the Lord. He represented them before God in a way that others didn't. If the king failed in his duty, the whole nation would suffer. 
There was one time when David sinned by seeking to number the people in Israel in a census. He wanted to find out how many people were in his kingdom. And it was a sin because it was a challenge to God's promise that his people would be more numerous than the sand of the seashore. And David wanted to find out how many it was. This failure of the king brought condemnation upon his people. The people didn't ask for a census. And yet for David's sin, God sent a plague upon Israel and hundreds of thousands of people died. The plague came to an end only when David sought forgiveness from the Lord and offered sacrifices to him. The failures of the king of God's people affects the people too. And David's sins brought disaster to his people. But on the other hand, when the king was in good standing with the Lord, the people would benefit. Uh, When David stood righteously before the Lord, when he was accepted before God, the people of Israel were saved. They were raised up despite what might have been going on amongst them. Their day of distress would turn to a day of victory. The relationship that the king had with the Lord directly impacts the fortunes of his people. And so the people prayed that David would be accepted and favoured by the Lord. And for the most part, uh, and far better than most, the heart and mind of David was in the right place. His desire was for his God, most of all, and for the glory of the Lord. And his heart was for his people also. And so verse 4 is appropriate. May he give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. This psalm would not do well for many of the kings of Israel and Judah. For many of them, their hearts' desires were far from being aligned with the desires of the Lord. David's heart was for the Lord, and so the Lord granted much to David, and David was victorious over his enemies because his enemies were the Lord's enemies. And Solomon, David's son, who took the throne after him, sought the wisdom of the Lord to rule his people, and the Lord granted him that wisdom and, and much more. So this psalm would have stood well in his reign, at least for a while. But after that, things kind of got worse. The son of Solomon who took over was Rehoboam, and he wanted to break the backs of God's people by weighing them down with even greater burdens. And so the Lord split the nation. Psalm 20 wouldn't be sung for him. Most of the kings after Rehoboam failed to have hearts turned towards the Lord and his people. And so this psalm wouldn't be sung for them. Where are the hearts of our leaders today? For many, leadership and rule is the end in itself. They, they like the power. They, they will please the people as much as they need to, to stay in power, but they will please themselves. They will do what they like. It is rarely seen that leaders in the public space ever lean on the Lord for counsel and wisdom. Rarely are their hearts set on the things of the Lord. But even within church leadership these days, many have fallen to pleasing people over pleasing God. And we ought to pray for our leaders that they would be led by the counsel and wisdom of the Lord. We ought to pray that God would be at work in them. David, though, with the heart after God's own heart and the support of the Lord, would find that he was able to save his nation time and time again from their enemies. The distress that they were facing would be removed and they would rejoice. 
Verse 5 says, We will shout for joy when you are victorious and we'll lift up our banners in the name of our God. May the Lord grant all your requests. The future of the nation, you see, is tied to the success of the king and the success of the king was tied to the Lord's favour. In Psalm 18, David said that every battle won, every skill he possessed, every good thing that was accomplished through him was not by his own strength, but through the strength given to him by the Lord. It was because the Lord gave him strength, because the Lord protected him, because the Lord was his shield, his fortress, his deliverer, his rock. And yet it was still through David that the Lord brought salvation to his people. He rescued them from all their foes, from all the nations about them and brought them to peace through David the king. Because the king's role was to fight their battles for them, to lead them into battle. But it would all come to nothing if the Lord was not with the king. It would all come to nothing if the king was not righteous before the Lord. Psalm 20 takes a new turn at verse 6. The request for the Lord's help is heard. And here the voice changes from that of the people to that of the king. And he says, Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He answers him from his holy heaven with the saving power of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up and stand firm. Before heading into battle, David would seek out the Lord. Uh, we don't have... Uh, all the details of every battle that David ever faced. But for those that we do have details for, it does talk about the way in which David went about it. Second Samuel chapter 5 says, The Philistines had come and spread out in the Valley of Rephaim. So David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go and attack the Philistines? Will you hand them over to me? And the Lord answered him, Go, for I will surely hand the Philistines over to you. So David went to Baal-perazim and there he defeated them. Once more, the Philistines came up and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. So David inquired of the Lord and he answered, do not go straight up, but circle around behind them and attack them in front of the balsam trees. David did as the Lord commanded him and he struck down the Philistines all the way from Gibeon to Giza. Each time David would call on the Lord and in each case, the Lord responded. And this is the, the tone that we see in verses 6 to 7 in Psalm 20. There is a, a prayer uh, to the Lord and the Lord has confirmed to his king that the victory will be given. And so the king can say, now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven. And with that prayer answered, David would have victory. Uh, the thought of most governments and leaders is that their strength is in what they have, in the might of their weaponry. And so they seek to have the best technology, the best weapons, the greater forces or the best, strongest allies. In David's day, though, it was all about having horses and chariots. Uh, chariots and horses were the weapons of war and by having them, victory may have been easier. But when the Lord was fighting in the battle, it didn't matter who had what. It didn't matter if Israel came with fewer men. It didn't even matter if they turned up just with clay jars and torches. When the Lord was with them, they could march around a city and just shout at it and the walls would come tumbling down. 
When the Lord was with them, they could just watch as their enemies even fought each other and destroyed themselves. Now David, king of Israel, knew not to trust to chariots and horses. Instead, he trusted only in the Lord. He would not go into battle without knowing that the Lord would be with him. The trust of God's people and their king is in the Lord and in his mighty hand. So this is a good psalm. Uh, taking it simply, it teaches us where to place our trust. It teaches us the kind of person that might make a good leader. Uh, but there is more to this psalm because the kings of Israel and David most of all foreshadowed the one to come. The psalm therefore points towards a greater king. O Lord, save the king, answer us when we call. The people were seeking the salvation of the king because they knew if the king was saved, they were saved. People had a need for a king, a king that would bring them salvation. In those days, they found that kind of fulfilled in David. But all of this was a pattern for the true king that would come, the greatest king of God's people, the perfect king, the righteous king, the king who would always and forever be in good standing with the Lord because he never sinned and never did anything wrong. Because he's the son of God. King would fight our battles for us. That king would win that battle by strength that could only have come from the heavenly realms. Of course, I'm talking about Jesus. In our other reading uh, in John, we see the triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And there, Jesus is welcomed into Jerusalem and he enters into Jerusalem sitting on a donkey's colt and he does that because that's how prophecy says the king will enter. And then there are all these people lining up alongside the road as, he's enter, as he enters and they throw down palm branches on the road and they, they threw clothing down and they made this kind of royal procession for their king. And as Jesus enters Jerusalem, they call him the king of Israel, they call him the son of David. He is the rightful king of God's people. He is the anointed one, the Messiah, the one promised through all of scripture, the one foreshadowed. And as he rides into Jerusalem, they call out Hosanna, which means save us, save us, please. It's the call of a people who for the moment at least see a king who they want to save them. A king who would fight their battles. It was a triumphant entry. And Jesus is a king who, who comes to save us. He came for that very purpose, to save his people. But he didn't come to save them from the Romans or the, anyone else or their surrounding enemies. He came to save them from their sins. He came to fight the battle that we could never win, to defeat the power of sin and to defeat death itself. And that is what he had come to Jerusalem to do. He had come to fight that great battle. We don't often look at Jesus as a warrior king. We don't see his strength, we don't see his courage, we don't see his might. We tend to see the, the tender side of Jesus, the hand that's placed towards us with grace and mercy. But he is fighting. He fights not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. He fights not against those who are his enemies, but he wages war against sin and death. 
Psalm 20, as, as a prayer for a king heading into battle, uh, suits well the occasion of Jesus coming into Jerusalem in those days leading up to the cross. And in a way, it speaks all the way from the time of David through history to that moment. There's a prayer for the king as he prepares to fight the greatest battle for us. Save the king. Save us. May the Lord answer you in our day of distress. May the name of God of Jacob protect you. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favour your sacrifice. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfil all your plans. May we shout for joy over your salvation. On that cross as Jesus died, he became himself the perfect sacrifice. The once for all sacrifice that brought salvation to all of God's people. His own blood was poured out to win a victory over sin and death. And it was a sacrifice that God the Father accepted from him. A sacrifice not offered to make him righteous, but a, a sacrifice offered to make us righteous. And in this way, he fought the battle we couldn't fight. The battle that we could not win. And he won. To some extent, we, we like the Israelites fighting alongside David, we, we fight the battle alongside Jesus too. We are in a daily spiritual battle against the sin in ourselves, uh, against the temptations of the world. And we fight it together by encouraging and helping each other in, it, in, in love. But the king has already delivered the victory. Already we can say he is victorious. And Jesus has won the battle over sin and death. And now he reigns victoriously from heaven. He rules as king of his people from the heavenly realms where he's seated right now at the right hand of the Father. And he continues to fight for his people, for us, for his church. Our enemies are the devil and his fellow fallen angels. Our enemies are the world that would entice us back to wickedness and sin. Our enemies are even the remnants of sin within ourselves. Those things that cause us to stumble and to trip over. But all these enemies fall at the power of the king. He has already defeated them. They are already cut down. Their powers have been stripped from them. And so while you stand with the king, they can have no power over you. And so demons flee at his name and temptations are shattered and broken by his power. To be sure, our enemies continue to flail at us. Even that wretched sin within us still rears its ugly head from time to time. But they are lost causes when you're in Christ. For we have his forgiveness. We have his love, his grace and his promises are, are ever sure. And we will be raised up on the last day in victory and we will dwell in peace with our king, our mighty king, forever and ever. The battle is won. The king is already victorious. Some trust in their own powers, some trust in their possessions, in their wealth, in their abilities, 
even in their friends and even in themselves. But our trust is in the Lord. And we seek the salvation he has given to us in Jesus, our Saviour and our King. And if you have put your trust in Jesus and accepted his rule over your life, then he is your King. You are one of his people. You are part of his church. You are a citizen of his nation. Because you are, you come under his protection. And just like the future of the Israelites was bound up with their king, our future is bound up with our king, who already stands victorious. We have a wonderful king in our Lord Jesus. He's not... He's not just offering grace and love, but he stands with such courage and might. He stands opposed to every kind of evil in the world. And he stands for us. What a wonderful saviour we have. Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord, our Heavenly Father, oh, we thank you for all that we have in Jesus, our, our Saviour and our King. Uh, he's, he fought this fight, Lord, that we couldn't fight. He showed such courage and strength in going up to that cross, such faith, such power. And in his death, Lord, he brought every enemy to their knees. He destroyed their power, took away their threats, and now we stand securely and safely in his arms. Lord, we thank you for his, your son and all that he accomplished, for all that he has done. Uh, Lord, help us to fight that daily battle too. Uh, help us to wage that war against sin in ourselves and the temptations of the world. Uh, protect us, Lord, from all the evil that is about us and guide us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.